Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. And my name is Benjamin Rangel. I'm your host today. And today's episode is a rather special one. You may have seen on your stream that today is our 100th episode. That's right, 100th episode. Uh, Our first episode was published back on December 21st. 2017 over three years ago our first guest on that first episode was a local journalist adam carr and quite honestly we had no idea what we were doing at the time uh but it turned out to be a good thing take a listen welcome to bridge the city a podcast recorded in milwaukee wisconsin Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas. My name is Benjamin Rangel, and I'm a local educator and advocate for progress in Milwaukee. And I'm Kyle Hagee, a current Marquette Trinity Fellow studying political science and also an advocate for progress. This is our first episode in a series that will provide insight on the systems that contribute towards a productive city. At Bridge the City, we believe that sound bites are not solutions. So this podcast serves as a launching ground for action. Over the course of this season, we will have thematic episodes centered around important systems in the city of Milwaukee. Since then, as you can hear, we got better mics and got our own intro song and learned a ton about podcasting and especially our city along the way. We interviewed mayors, activists, governors, and everyday residents making a difference in their community. We picked up supporters along the way through our Patreon. Shout out to our first and longest supporter, Peter Kriske, who has been a supporter on Patreon since May 2019. We grew our team of two to a team of five. We've hosted events throughout the city, attracted attracting hundreds of attendees. And here we are still doing what we love and what we believe in, connecting Milwaukeeans and Wisconsinites with the information they need to be the best residents they can be, and connecting you all, our listeners, with tangible action steps that help you make a difference in your community. And it fits that for our 100th episode, we have an election special for the upcoming state superintendent's race here in Wisconsin. If you've been a regular listener, you know that one of the most common action steps we hear from guests is to vote locally. And so here we are getting you all informed on an extremely important local election. If you want to hear a little bit more about what our 100th episode means to us and our team, you can follow along on social media where uh, some of our teammates, including myself, will reflect on our milestone. You can also check out our upcoming episode on River West Radio. That's 104.1 FM on Wednesdays at 5.30 p.m. Or you can stream online whenever to hear us reflect uh, in a half-hour episode. And then also, very special here, look for an opportunity to win a free Bridges City t-shirt and poster if you share and or comment on our post about the 100th episode milestone. Folks, I want to remind you all that every member of our team volunteers to produce this content for you because we believe in the mission and the idea that local independent media is important for vibrant democracy and community. We are 100 episodes in, but I'm looking forward to 100 more. If you've been a longtime listener but have not been able to support our mission yet, consider becoming a patron today at patreon.com slash bridge the city for as little as $4.14. You can help keep this dream alive, help a local independent 
um, nonpartisan, you know, not really for profit because we're, we're not making any salary or anything here, uh, institution continue on uh, covering local elections and everything else that's important in your city and community. Alrighty, celebrations aside, on today's episode, we feature parts of four interviews with candidates for state superintendent of Wisconsin. This is one of the most important elected positions in our state, since this person will be in charge of the entire Department of Public Instruction, so all of the schools throughout the state of Wisconsin. Before Tony Evers became governor in 2018, he held this position for 10 years, and before that, he was deputy superintendent for 10 years. So um, obviously, Tony Evers had a lot of experience here in education at the state level, but when he was elected in 2018, uh, he had to step down from that position and he appointed Carolyn Stanford Taylor to replace him. Um, however, uh, recently she announced that she would not run and seven other candidates have emerged to take her spot and to lead our schools throughout the state of Wisconsin. February 16th is the primary election and the top two candidates in that election will move along to the general in April with so many candidates and in an election that typically gets you know less than 20% voter turnout, a candidate might not need many votes to find themselves in the top two. And as you'll hear, there are many strong candidates. We reached out to all seven uh, of the folks running in this race, but did not hear back from three of them. That's Joe Fenrick, Troy Gunderson, and Jill Underly. Of course, we encourage you all to seek out more information about them, some of which I will include at the end, and we'll have their websites linked in our show notes. But right now you're going to hear from four strong candidates for the state superintendent position. You'll hear from them in the order that we did the interview, and I will introduce them all now, but then also mention who they are before we jump into their excerpts from the interview. That's Dr. Shandalyn Hendricks-Williams, Steve Kroll, Deborah Kerr, and Sheila Briggs. And so you'll hear parts of our interviews with them. If you want their full unedited interview, you can visit our website and see those as well. We went on for about 30 minutes with each candidate. Here you'll only hear about 8 to 15 minutes from each, depending on how long they took on the specific questions we pulled out for you all today. All right. Uh, without further ado, let's hear from Dr. Hendricks. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a listener and a supporter of Bridges City. So I am the granddaughter of sharecroppers, uh, raised in rural Illinois, where my grandmother, upon moving from Brownsville, Tennessee to Decatur, was employed as a maid. She had what she referred to as a garden, but it was much larger than a garden. Uh, she grew vegetables and all sorts of things. And uh, she would have me, my brothers and my cousins go out and help pick the weeds from the rows of the crops and help actually pick the crops and et cetera. My grandfather raised chickens, and so I remember him um, wringing the chicken's neck and then cutting the head off on a block of wood. And so that is my upbringing in, a, in an area where everyone knew everyone, people took care of each other. Most of the people earned their money by either working on um, in a factory or on the farm. And when the factories closed, Staley's was a big company there. It adversely affected my small town, but there, there's something that was great about the culture of where I lived. We grew up and I was a member of 4-H and with 4-H, we talk about making decisions with your head, good decisions with your head, working with your heart, keeping in mind that other people are more important than you and things are more important than you, um, and working with our hands, meaning service above self, helping each other, helping neighbors, 
and then health, keeping yourself healthy so that you can do all of the aforementioned. And that has been very critical, um, not only during my childhood upbringing, but also throughout my life. Um, I moved to Milwaukee when I was 14. My father was a minister and the Board of Bishops moved him to Milwaukee to pastor. And as such, I moved from a very small town to this huge, large city. And it was quite an adjustment, but did well. Graduated from Milwaukee Public School, Custer High School. And I got married very early and then ended up getting a divorce and found myself cast into poverty as a single mom with two children, depending on the state to take care of my children. I have two children, um, a daughter who went to a school for gifted and talented, and I have a son with multiple severe disabilities. And I share that whole trajectory because that's really essentially who I am as an individual. When I went to my son's first IEP meeting, I was an uneducated parent and did not understand special education or the acronyms and felt like the teachers talked down to me. And I vowed to myself that I would never feel like that again and never, never would I make another person feel like that. And so that's really what propelled me into the field of education. I earned my associate degree in human services with honors from MATC. My bachelor's degree in human services, I was the valedictorian and on the dean's list and cum laude in human services. Master's degree in special education from Cardinal Stritch University. Ed specialist degree in educational leadership from National Lewis University and doctorate degree in ed educational leadership from National Lewis University. I earned all of those degrees while working um, as an educator. I started off as a paraprofessional, uh, K3, K4, K5, first to second grade. And then as a special education teacher where I taught grades three through eight. And then I was a, a assistant principal and a principal at Milwaukee Public Schools for high school. And so my trajectory moving from a paraprofessional to um, a principal actually, I believe is very important because, you know, in as much as with my uh, fellow candidates, we have a common education and we have, you know, a common career trajectory. I have a very uncommon disposition because of my humble upbringing, because very early on when I was a little girl, my grandmother used to tell me that school was very important, having not been educated herself. When she was cooking um, good home cooked meals in the kitchen, I wanted to sit in there and watch her and she would usher me out the kitchen and say, no, you go sit down and read a book. And so that is really the ground of my uncommon disposition. That and my upbringing in rural Illinois, 4-H, um, my spiritual beliefs, I believe that um, I'm destined to be the state superintendent because of my career trajectories and because of my life experiences. I do not feel like I'm entitled to this position. I understand that I have to earn the votes of Wisconsin, um, Wisconsin citizens, but I believe that I have something in common with everyone. And then also understanding that education is the key to better outcomes. Um, it will improve our industries in the state. It will improve our farms, our businesses, our citizenship, all of those things. So I'm really excited about um, the opportunity to serve so that I can maximize potential, create new trajectories for students that may not be successful in school, as well as those who are successful, and unveil opportunities for success for our students, our parents, and our teachers.
it seems as if we have just sort of gotten out of election season here from a national perspective um, with the presidential election uh, in the aftermath and um, the election in Georgia. Uh, but related to the presidential election, often we hear of the importance of a president's like first hundred days in office. So let's extend that beyond the presidency and talk about uh, here at the state level, your first 100 days as super state superintendent, if elected, um, what would be some of your main priorities during your first 100 days in office? Uh, thank you so much for that question. Um, I was trained by new leaders for new schools and served as a fellow. And in that capacity, we learned that you should never go into a position without having your entry plan and your 100 day plan. So even before I announced my candidacy, this is something I had mulled over and developed. So I'm very honored to have the opportunity to share that at this point. One of the first things I'm gonna do is meet with our elected officials and really talk about my student rights. I have a Bill of Rights for all Wisconsin students that clearly articulate what each child can expect in their educational experience from three-year-old kindergarten all the way through high school. This plan is a very simple plan. And I believe that all of our elected officials will get behind it because it will create a better Wisconsin. It is exactly what their constituents want. They want their children to have early childhood experiences. They want them to have what I call essentials, art, music, gym, FIED, library, and computer science. They want our high school students to have financial literacy, economics, a world language, and then also civics, which in our current political state is very important. Um, they want our students to have internships to explore options and be able to volunteer for businesses and organizations to ascertain if this is really what they want to go into. Our elected officials want our students to graduate, not just college and career ready, which has been the rhetoric for many years coming out of DPI, but also um, because that really does not include all students like my son who has multiple severe disabilities. So we want, and I believe our elected officials want our students to graduate ready for um, post-secondary outcomes, whether it's attending a day program, working in a shelter workshop, working at the Goodwill, going to technical college, working in the trades, going into the military, perhaps the Peace Corps, perhaps career, perhaps college. But we need to start having those conversations about how do we create those pathways very early on in our children's lives. And that's the reason why it's so important for us to have school counselors in every school in high school. I had a school counselor at Custer High School and that was very important. And so my first 100 days, that is my first action is to actually engage in conversations with our elected officials around that. In addition to that, I really want to be able to create legislation that will award a $350 rebate to all families. So currently every teacher is able to receive a $350 rebate on their taxes for additional costs that are incurred from the Novi school supplies for their classrooms. During this pandemic, our parents have been and have stepped up to be that first parent again. And so they've incurred additional costs for school supplies, for uh, unlimited internet access, for additional le electricity. And I believe that they should be awarded $350 per child rebate for those additional costs. So I will also be advocating for that. The other thing that I will immediately attack is the fact that we need to address our teacher pipeline and we need to diversify the teacher pipeline. 
2018, there was a large body of research that was released that clearly indicated that having teachers of color are beneficial not only to students of color, but also to our white students. In addition to that, if a student of color just has one year with a teacher of color, their, their academic and professional outcomes are increased and the likelihood that they will drop out of high school dramatically decreases. When I was at the DPI serving as assistant director of teacher education, professional development and licensing, I, de I developed a statewide plan to diversify the teacher pipeline. Within my first 100 days, I'm gonna find that plan, dust it off, assemble all the stakeholders that assisted in developing that, including stakeholders nationally, and we're gonna implement it. Wonderful. Um, uh, last thing here would, would be just to talk about the, the current state of the race, which is that there are seven candidates in the primary race. It's, it's pretty crowded from some people's perspective. And uh, truthfully, unfortunately, we know that the state superintendent might not get as much coverage as it deserves, at least from my perspective, and not as much coverage as um, some of the national races get. Um, but if you could say something to a voter right now, and it was the only chance they got to hear from you before the election, uh, what would you say to them? I would say that it's time to be on the right side of history for Wisconsin. It's time for us to get off the 90 list as it relates to the achievement gap, the high incarceration rate, the gap between home ownership, between people of color and others, the gap in, un in unemployment, the gap in employment, the gap in college graduation. It's time to get off that list. And, and I am a person who have, has overcome a lot of things and I know what it takes. I have been that person that couldn't figure out how to overcome and I know that education is the way and I know that we can do this and I bring a perspective, no matter how much one talks about an equity lens, you're looking at equity. For me, equity is not a lens, it's my life. So if there's anyone who's going to do anything about the inequities in this state, it's someone who has been the victim of inequities and have taken that and refused to say that my present circumstances dictate my future and has figured it out through education how to make better outcomes for herself and her family and for the students I've worked with and for the teachers I've worked with and for the administrators I've worked with and for every Wisconsin citizen. Next, we'll hear from Steve Kroll. Sure. So I'm Steve Kroll. Um, I'm running for state superintendent of schools. And uh, I'm currently the principal of Garland School in Milwaukee. Um, we're a, a K-8 school that has just under 600 kids. Um, very, very diverse. Uh, we've got a, a lot of English learners from about 20 different languages, so from a lot of different countries. Um, and we actually are very, a very desired school. Uh, we compete very well in the school choice model that's been put out in Milwaukee. And we've got students from about 10 different suburbs. So, I mean, we are winning the school choice race. But um, on a personal level, I've got a, uh, a wife and two kids. My daughter is actually a freshman in college and my son's a sophomore in high school. And so that's pretty cool. Um, I met my wife while I was in the Air Force. I was in the Air Force for six years as an instructor and then a, a manager, where I essentially worked with about 170 organizations to ensure that troops who were about to be deployed had the training and proficiency they needed before being deployed. Um, and I did other stuff. I implemented a uh, student database system that moved away from paper. 
um, and coordinated all of that, which was for about 100,000 students a year. Um, I also worked with research and development and some of the work I did saved about 200,000 a year for the Air Force and, uh, and so on. Now, I, I did grow up in Bayview, which is a neighborhood of Milwaukee. And um, I really had a good upbringing. I mean, uh, I enjoyed it. I have only fond memories of being a kid. Uh, I went to all Milwaukee public schools, enjoyed my time there. Um, as far as like the friends and things like that, I personally didn't necessarily like going to school. I, I didn't enjoy sitting and listening to someone drone on, especially about you know things I didn't care about. Um, so you know, I did not immediately go to college and instead went to the Air Force and uh, got my degree there. Uh, when I got out of the Air Force, uh, I became, I really enjoyed teaching while I was in the Air Force as an instructor. And uh, because I didn't like school as much, I thought, you know what? I wanna make children's experience um, in school better than what I had. And really that was my motivation for getting into education. Something about me, I really like structures. I really like looking at systems. Um, I'm a builder. I like to um, see puzzles and either put the pieces together or find new pieces or design new pieces that fit. That's kind of how I, I think. I'm really that kind of thinker. And that kind of is why I'm running for state superintendent is because you know, I earned my doctorate in 2016, which really put me inside of knowing about all the policies and all the no child left behind, the history of education. And, you know, I, I noticed that, you know, and, and following through all the, the layoffs that I had and that, that we really have a serious issue in education these days. Um, honestly, I think our system is under attack uh, systemically. I think that there is intentional, um, motivation to go ahead and change public schools or move away from public schools. And so I, I think that we need to address these issues on a systemic level. And with the way I think, I think that we need to address that in three major ways. The first is that we have a teacher shortage in the thousands. Uh, we need to make sure that we rebuild the teaching force. And then I also see that services are going down. You know, I, when I first started teaching, I had 18 kids in my class. And when I finished, I think I, I'm trying to remember, it was about 35 or 36. Now that's just, think of all the extra workload that was done there. I wasn't able to you know, touch base with each kid at the same level that I was from when I first started. Well, there's a lot of components that, that are part of that. The additional paperwork they do, the additional, they added to the workday another 30 minutes. And you think 30 minutes, but when you start adding all these little components and all these little pieces, you know, time quickly disappears. And so there's no wonder in my mind why people are abandoning teaching and why people are not joining it. Now, I think that part of the issue is that we've got a, a broken funding system in Wisconsin. Um, some districts get about twice as much base money per child than other districts, but we're asking them to do the exact same thing and get the same results. And so, those are my three major points. Um, it's what I talk about all the time. And, uh, and that's kind of where I like to, kind of like to uh, introduce how I look at the world is I'm a structural thinker. And I think that we need to repair those structures and expand those structures before we can have any true meaningful change 
and before we can save our public education system. Thank you so much. Um, and so I sort of alluded to this, I think, before we even started our conversation, um, that there are a lot of candidates in the primary race, uh, seven people filed to run for state superintendent. If uh, you could say something to a voter right now, and it was the only chance they got to hear from you before the election, uh, what would you say to them? Why are you the best choice for the job? I think I'm the best choice for the job because I do look at completely um, rebuilding our education system. You know, I, I think that we need to move away from the, the ideas that haven't worked. And let's look at that. You know, we've had the ivory tower sitting there making choices since the 90s about how education can should work. And what has that gotten us? It got, you know, the largest uh, achievement gap that you talked about earlier. It got the teacher shortage that we have right now. It has large class sizes. Like the people at the top right now have not made good decisions for education because if they had, there wouldn't be an achievement gap. We would have no problem with funding, you know, and, and so and all those other components that I talked about. So for me, I'm close to the ground. Now I've got leadership experience as both a principal and while I was in the military and, but I'm, I'm not so far removed. And so really what we need in my view is to get teachers who are there seeing what's going on, being participating in great teachers who know what they're doing with kids. We need to empower them and bring them to the state capital and have them be decision makers, have them say, you know what, although that sounds like a great idea on paper, in theory, in practice, this is what happened when we did that. And I think that we should modify it like this, or we should abandon that idea. So my biggest, um, my biggest sell, I guess, is number one is I'm close to the ground with still having leadership experience. And number two is the way that I think, that idea of looking at structures and changing the system for the better. That's really what we need to do. And you can talk about equity, you can talk about cultural responsiveness, you can talk about achievement gaps, but none of that is gonna change until we really um, sit down and change the system. And that's what I wanna do. All right, hope you learned something informative about Steve there. Next, we will hear from candidate Deborah Kerr. Greetings. My name is Deborah Kerr, and I am very excited to run for the Wisconsin State Superintendent of Public uh, Superintendent position. I've got over 40 years of experience that I've dedicated my life to education. I've worked in a variety of sectors. I'm parochial educated. I taught in a private school. I started a charter school, and I've dedicated the last 34 years of my life to public education. I've also been a superintendent in the great state of Wisconsin for the last 20 years. So I grew up in a very small town in a Western suburb of Chicago, Illinois, Melrose Park. So I'm a small town girl with big world dreams. I'm the oldest of three girls. Uh, I have two sisters, Dawn and Deanna. And I have wonderful nieces and nephews that are also in the teaching profession. My dad was in the international Brotherhood of Operating Engineers, and my mom was a self-made accountant working for an electronics company. My parents were very hardworking and loving. I was the first in my family to go to college, and I became a teacher because I wanted to become a teacher ever since I'd been a little girl. They always taught us, though, 
uh, kids to leave things better than when you find them. So this is what's really motivated me to run for the Wisconsin State Superintendent. For my dream and vision is to create a world-class education system that makes Wisconsin the highest performing state in the country. Right now, our kids are not winning. Many of our kids across the state, rural, suburban, and urban are really struggling due to the lost instruction, the inequities of access to healthcare, food, tech devices, and of course, faulty internet. So I know we can do this by coming together and unify our efforts around education and that where every student in our Wisconsin schools will know by name, strength, passion, and need so they graduate ready and prepared for the future that they choose. So how are we gonna do this? We're gonna focus on three areas. First of all, we need to have a focus, a laser focus on improved reading and literacy. As we all know, literacy is linked to better health, higher levels of engagement and higher earnings in the labor market. So we need to get Wisconsin off the 10 year list of having the largest achievement gaps in the nation between black and white students according to the nation's report card and a recent DPI presentation. Wisconsin is also dead last in early literacy for black students and all of Wisconsin's groups are underperforming. So my first priority is starting out with a reading roadmap for pre-K through third graders with ambitious goals to address and start closing those gaps within the first three years of my tenure. This includes evidence-based policies and practices that will help us to support teachers in this very important work. The second priority is making sure that all of our kids have a future they choose. So how do we do that? We know them by name, strength, and passion. So if we create strength-based pathways for our kids, those need to start in elementary school. And we need to connect these pathways to the workforce development needs of our great state. So students not only need to be exposed early on to what exists in our future for them, but we have talented students in all of our high schools that we can recruit into these shortage areas. So right now, the, the biggest shortage areas um, include IT, agriculture, healthcare, manufacturing, teaching, um, and other computer jobs, especially for women and girls. So I have this dream of having work-based experiences in all of our schools, and you can think of it as this, from apprenticeship to PhD, there'll be no pathway with, um, that has a dead end. And then the final priority is partnerships. Partnerships with our parents, all of the stakeholders, our community organizations, so that we can recover from this pandemic. We can learn from what other states have done to create opportunities for all of our kids. So robust internet is one of those um, inequities that we've experienced with this pandemic. And so we need to do better for all of our kids across the great state. So those are the top three priorities I would focus on. And so uh, thank you. Thank you for that introduction and uh, highlighting those priorities that sort of got into my second question, which was uh, about uh, the first hundred days in office. <laughs> um, uh, and so I think I think the priorities probably uh, sort of answered that part of it. But is there anything else in your first 100 days in office if you were elected that you would prioritize beyond those three? Yes, Ben. Um, what I think is really important is to make any of those things happen. I have to have a great communications plan. So I will finalize the statewide communication plan with my new uh, Department of Public Instruction Leadership Cabinet. I want to reach out to all the stakeholders and honor their work and tell them how we plan to work together and recover from this pandemic. It's going to be important to create relationships with my new staff at the DPI. So I want to spend some time doing that. 
And I want to make sure all of our leaders across the state, whether there's CISA directors, superintendent, district leaders from all sectors and school boards, understand what our recovery plan will look like so that we can focus on evidence-based practices and accelerated learning. And then the final part of that 100-day plan, I need to work with the state legislature. I want to work meet with every single one of them so that I can become a trusted advisor, an educational expert, so that we can work together to form and put in policy. If you could say something to a voter right now and you knew it was the only thing a voter would hear from you before the election, what would you say to them? What would be the thing uh, that sort of explains why you are the best choice for the job? I have the most experience of any candidate and am uniquely prepared and qualified to lead at this date and time. My passion for serving children for the past 41 years in all sectors, and I've also had experience at the local, state, and national level advocating with legislators and congresspeople from both sides of the aisle. We, I have, I'm the only candidate who has turned around a school district, closed achievement gaps, and have the highest graduation uh, uh, rates in the state. And so we need someone more than ever to stand up on behalf of all public school students and all the educational sectors that we serve. And I can do that relying on my experiences, not only in Brown Deer, but at the state and national level. Lastly, we have an excerpt from our interview with Sheila Briggs. Sure. So my name is Sheila Briggs, and I actually grew up in a small rural community. I had the pleasure of being a part of a K-8 school where we had one classroom per grade level, and I progressed through my education with the same group of kids. Everyone knew each other. It was like a family. It was really beautiful. But a part of that also came when I was in seventh grade and the school board made the gut-wrenching decision to close our school because of declining enrollment. I will never forget that day and what that meant for me as a student. I had to be shipped to a um, neighboring school for my eighth grade year. And so I will always be impacted by that. Um, I did, of course, recover and I went off to college um, as a first generation college student. Um, I found my way to education and certainly my experience as a student shaped um, the educator that I became. I did decide to dedicate my professional career to urban education because I was so drawn to the idea of the inequities that we have had across our state and really wanted to commit my um, adult career to really working on making sure that every single student has access to a quality education across the state of Wisconsin. And I've been working on that throughout my career, but I am not finished. And that is why I wanna be the next state superintendent. Wonderful. And so for a lot of people, um, when it comes to elections, they might focus on the national election elections. And obviously, we just got through a tumultuous presidential election. Uh, but one thing we often hear when it comes to the president's first 100 days in office is what they're going to do, what are their priorities. So uh, bring it down to, to your race and as state superintendent, if you are elected, what would be some of your main priorities during the first 100 days in office? 
So the great thing about me is I'm already serving at the department as the assistant state superintendent. So uh, I am already embedded in the department. So day one following the election, I'm ready to get started. And so we will be in the final stages of making sure that our department's equity budget gets passed through the legislature. So I'll be able to take that opportunity to um, fight for making sure we have adequate and equitable funding um, going into this next um, couple of years on this budget. And so that will give me the opportunity to continue to build upon the experiences and the relationships that I have with our, our legislators. And so I look forward to that. Secondly, we need to make sure that all of our educators are getting access to the COVID vaccine. This is gonna be critical um, piece of us being able to make sure that we're safely being able to return to in-person um, teaching. And so I will continue to fight for that. And then um, finally, I would say that as we are continuing to manage through this crisis, we also have to be looking forward um, to plan for recovery on the other side. And one of the things that I've prioritized in my campaign is this idea that we can't be going back to how things were because back means schools that weren't working for all of our kids. We have to be planning forward for how we're gonna change things to make sure that the new normal is something that works for every single student in the state of Wisconsin. And I'm ready to lead on this. All right, and so um, uh, for our listeners, they, they might realize that there's a lot of people running for state superintendent, at least in this primary. Um, and so uh, for someone who um, might not have a ton of time to research, look at all, all that's out there on the internet, uh, what would you say to them to convince them that you are the best person for this job? Yeah, um, so I have served in the state superintendent's cabinet for the last 10 years. I have deep relationships across the state. Um, I know how to work with other agencies in state government. I know how to work with the governor's office. I've led at the national level, um, leading in several areas that we are gaining traction in, in Wisconsin as well. I know deeply how the department runs. I know where it works well, and I know where it's not working well and where we need to make really dramatic changes in order to better meet the needs of the kids across the state. And so I will be ready on day one. And I believe that in coming out of this crisis, we need a proven leader that is ready to go. We don't have time for training wheels and I have the experience to lead us into a new, better future. All right, and in true Bridges City fashion, even if it's our 100th episode, of course, we need to still include action steps, folks. So here are the action steps from your candidates for state superintendent in the same order you heard them from uh, with Dr. Hendricks starting this off, followed by Steve Kroll, Deborah Kerr, and Sheila Briggs. I believe one thing that we have to do, and this goes back to my upbringing in the rural Illinois, we need to let our students, our children see that we see them. We need to encourage them. We need to speak to them. We need to look them in their eyes. We need to ask them what college are you gonna to go to? What are you gonna be when you grow up? We need to take an interest in what's interesting to them. We need to understand that they don't know delayed gratification that it takes in order to get a college degree because in today's world, everything is instantaneous with Facebook, Twitter, internet, all of that. And so we need to provide opportunities to slow our students down, engage in conversations with them, plan, them for the, plan with them for their future, and then spend time with internships, 
with mentoring and with coaching. If you are not mentoring or coaching a child other than your own, that is the first thing that you can do. You know, that's, that's a, a very good question. I'm going to answer it in two parts. The first is that I think that um, as we talked about earlier with, you know, most people tending to you know, vote in the presidential election, but not always paying attention to local issues and this and that or voting for those, is that one thing that when we moved to the state office, uh, to the Capitol, excuse me, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we have uh, a, a type of public information system. And I'm not just talking about, you know, releasing things, but really going in depth and informing the population about real education issues and why things are the way they are. Now, you know, one thing that I find in education is that, you know, people try to make things very complex. They, they use big words that I swear some people just pull out a thesaurus when they want to talk to you because like, and then you don't even know what they're talking about because it gets lost in the fact that it's complex. You know, it's, it's very simple. And, and this is what I'll say to answer what we can do. Learn as much as you can about what's going on around you and the schools and what's happening in the schools. Learn about the way that funding is happening. See that, you know, Whitefish Bay, you know, what do they have compared to what does Milwaukee have or what does Oak Creek have? You know, I'm, I'm specifically talking about Milwaukee area and see how, you know, those, those funding decisions are impacting whether there's a teacher shortage in that district or not. Whether, you know, what type of class sizes are there? You know, do a little research on those ideas. Um, you know, I think it's always a good idea for people to visit schools and to become volunteers in schools. You know, I, I, I love it that we have such a strong volunteer base at Garland, that I, the school that I am a principal at. You know, in a democracy, we need to be an informed population. So yeah, just volunteer in schools, check out what's going on inside of schools, learning as much as you can about schools. Um, you know, I, the, the other candidates are great. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to, that we actually have so many people because we can have such a diverse conversation. Um, you know, my conversation is both focused mostly on structures. Other people have different focuses. And so just kind of pay attention to what we are saying. And, you know, I, I think that uh, that, will, that will play out very nicely for folks. I would tell everybody, let's keep our kids at the heart of everything that we do. Let's mentor them. Let's coach them. Let's provide leadership training for them. Let them know that we love and we care for them. I think we can all be ambassadors for our kids. That could be reading to a kid or allow, allowing them to uh, do an internship um, or buy helping them make great choices in their um, educational life. I think what happened to me along my way, I've always had someone who's tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you should be a superintendent someday, or you should be a teacher, or you should do this. And I think we need to be those people that tap our kids on the shoulder and encourage them to be what they want to be. I love this. So I have two action sets that I would say. The first is what you're already doing. Stay informed and vote, but not just at the state superintendent's um, level. I think it's so important to pay close attention to your local school board elections, your local referenda questions, get involved, advocate, and vote there. The second thing I would say is I'm sure that all of your listeners were unbelievably inspired like I was by Amanda Gorman this week, um, the, um, the Youth Poet Laureate. And so 
what I would say is we actually have youth that are inspiring and talented and creative and amazing all across the state of Wisconsin. And sometimes you have to kind of look for it and lift it up or invite that talent. Sometimes it's hiding in places like a special education classroom or in a truancy meeting or just hiding right there in plain sight. And sometimes just waiting for someone to notice. And I would say, be that person to notice. All right. And before we depart, just a little information from the other candidates who we weren't able to talk with um, from their websites or what we could find online about them. So we have Jill Underly who is a lifelong educator, uh, a public school advocate, administrator, and teacher with over two decades of public education experience, including her current six years as the state superintendent of the Pecatonia, apologize if I said that wrong, school district, and five years at the Department of Public Instruction, both educator licensing and Title I. Dr. Underly has been committed to ensuring that every child every day has the opportunity for first-class public education in the state of Wisconsin. So that's from her website there. Um, Joe Fenrick is uh, from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. He plans to fight for emphasizing quality teaching over high test scores, highly trained educational staff in every school, and updating classroom technology. And lastly, we have Troy Gunderson, who is running for state superintendent, of course, as well. And he grew up in Colfax, Wisconsin, and currently lives in West Salem. He is a retired middle school science teacher and currently serves as an adjunct professor of school finance in the superintendent certification program at Viterbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, some things he's emphasizing are um, using the framework offered by No Time to Lose, how to build the world-class education system state by state as a guide, um, making sure that there's an increase investments in programs that better serve three to four-year-old children, and committing to the notion of teaching as a professional career, among other things on his website. Again, um, I apologize to those candidates if they're listening. Uh, we, we did reach out and, and we asked to be on, asked for you all to be on the podcast. And of course, we would love to still hear from you. So let us know. Uh, we can maybe provide some additional information on our website from you all. Please, folks, do the research, get informed, and vote in the primary February 16th. Thank you so much for listening to Bridges City 100 episodes. And I'm, I'm super excited about the future of Bridges City. If you are not yet a supporter, please consider becoming one uh, because we could always use the support, of course. But it also tells us that we are providing a quality, useful service to the, to the listeners and to the people of Milwaukee, which, you know, I get a lot out of these interviews. I'm informed, but I hope you all are as well. And you leave every episode feeling inspired to get in uh, to get involved and make a difference. This episode was produced by me, Benjamin Rangel, uh, digital marketing and promotion by Elizabeth McLaren, who is a genius on the team, and music by Casey Masters. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, let us know how you have helped bridge the city. Bridge the city, whoa, whoa. bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city.